Hello, everyone. Welcome to Episode 3 of the Student Pilot Cast, the first week. I'm your host, Bill Williams, and today we're going to find out what happened during my first week of instruction. Got a ground Cherokee 4121 Tango, Tanner Service Taxi for South Departure Well, folks, I've now got 2.2 hours under my belt. I'm a virtual infant when it comes to my flying endeavors, but I'm as hooked as anyone can be. This is really great fun. I thought today I'd talk about my week as it pertains to flying. I've had technical difficulties this week, so I don't have any in-cockpit audio to share, but I'll explain what happened as best I can. First, though, I want to say thanks to all the well-wishers out there. I've had several people wish me well in my training and with the AudioCast, and I appreciate that very, very much. I'd really like to hear from anyone who is listening and get feedback. What do you want to hear? What do you like? Etc. To send this feedback, please visit www.studentpilotcast.com and click on Contact in the upper right corner. Alternatively, you can send me email directly at bill at studentpilotcast.com. Also, if you have comments on a particular episode, you can leave comments for any post at studentpilotcast.com as well. Again, I'd really love to hear from you, so drop me a line. Okay, on to more interesting things. Monday, March 31st, was my first lesson, and they scheduled me, as is typical, I guess, for back-to-back time slots, so we could spend an hour or so briefing, starting files, etc., doing some ground training, and then also an hour or so in the airplane. After the ground portion, which started out as some paperwork, filling out forms, and signing some policy information, etc., Brian, my CFI, went over some concepts to make sure I understood them, and then we did some briefing on the upcoming flight. He went over the equipment we're using for the training, which is a Piper PA-28-161, or a Piper Warrior, and some of the information I would need to know about how to take off, and more importantly, how to get into the pattern, start the descent, and establish on final approach, and ultimately land. Let me tell you, though, this is much easier said than done, but I'll talk more about that later. During this first flight, we'd be doing some basic stuff, including standard turns, coordinated flight, etc., Then we'd head back to the airport, get into the pattern, and do a few touch-and-goes. So we grabbed our headsets, got a little water, and headed on out. Brian showed me how to pre-flight in a bit of detail, since I guess from now on he expects me to do it. And in no time, we were all set, ready to complete the before-start checklist. I got introduced to all of the basic checklists that we'd be using and began getting familiar with the airplane itself. So let me take a minute to explain the issues I had with my recorder for this flight. I bring a small digital recorder in my flight bag to record audio from the flight. I do this for two reasons. One, to have a record for myself to aid in my learning so I can listen to key portions and relive it to help me with my couch flying or visualize how I'm supposed to be doing it. The second reason is to be able to share anything interesting with all of you. If you've listened to episode one, then you know I've done this before, right? I have some in-cockpit audio from my intro flight in that episode, and I did that by using an attenuating cable, which, if you don't know what that is, it lowers the uh, level of the audio that was meant for headphones down to an an acceptable mic-level input for recording. I uh, used that, and I plugged in the recorder directly to one of the backseat jacks for the airplane's intercom system. This worked perfectly. The problem is I haven't been in the same plane twice yet. See, the flight school where I'm training has 
many PA-28-161 trainers, and we use whatever is available. For my intro flight, we were in 2-1 Tango, but for this flight, we were in 2-2 Tango, and evidently something was different. I think either a setting was different on the intercom, or it wasn't working to that jack, or whatever happened, I ended up with audio that was so low, it was mostly indiscernible and therefore unusable. So I apologize about that, and I'll try to get this thing figured out. Okay, back to the flight. So we go through all of the checklists, get the plane started, get ATIS, contact ground, all of that stuff, and we start to taxi out. Man, I'm surprised how hard this was for me. I don't know if other new students have quite the adjustment period. That whole steering with your feet thing, even though I've done it before a bit, just isn't natural. It feels very awkward to me, and I have to force myself to keep my hands off the yoke, because if I'm touching the yoke, I automatically want to use it to steer like a car, and ailerons don't do much at five miles per hour on the ground. I felt like an idiot, but what are you going to do? It's an adjustment. Well, we get in the air, and we're off to the practice area, and in the practice area at Chandler's, just south of the field. I found myself focused way too much on the instruments and not outside, and I think it's because I really have no idea what, at this point what, what it's supposed to look like outside. I don't really have an idea of what the sight picture is supposed to be. I was trying my best to coordinate any turns I was doing, but again, I was finding this awkward. For those of you who don't fly, coordinating a turn loosely means using rudder and aileron at the same time to make sure the nose of the plane doesn't slip out or skid in when banking. Without going into why this happens, which pilots already know and non-pilots probably don't care about, it basically takes coordination of hands and feet to turn properly. But timing and touch is everything, and I'll tell you right now, I, at this point, I've got neither. I think Brian sensed this, or, or I was making him airsick, one of the two, so he demonstrated and then had me do a drill that he called Dutch Rolls. He had me roll the airplane one way in a coordinated way and then back the opposite way and back again over and over making the plane essentially rock its wings the whole time the idea is to keep the nose steadily pointed at one place on the horizon which would mean the banks are coordinated this is just what the doctor ordered that five minutes taught me a lot about coordinated flight and how to match rudder and aileron inputs and about what a coordinated turn is supposed to look and feel like it was excellent a perfect drill for me at that point in time, and it helped me out immensely. I'm sure I'm still horrible, but for at least a minute, I knew what I was supposed to be doing. We did some other air work, including clearing turns and slow flight, and then it was back toward the airport. As we came to the pattern on, on the 45 for the downwind leg, Brian prepped me again for all of the steps that needed to happen. First, get established on the downwind at pattern altitude and proper RPM, and then make sure I've completed the before landing checklist, which is basically electric fuel pump on, fullest tank, carb heat if necessary, um, maybe something else. I'm not, I can't remember for sure. Then when we got to beam the numbers, pull the throttle back to the proper RPM for first notch of flaps, maintain 80 knots using pitch, and this is where we start descending. When we're approximately 45 degrees from the numbers, we turn base, put in the second notch of flaps, use pitch to maintain 75 knots, and then turn on to final under the runway heading, last notch of flaps. And then you point the, no the nose at the numbers, he said, and maintain 70 knots and get established on that final approach. Once the field is made, you go idle, use rudder and airline to keep the plane on center line and eventually pointing that same way as you flare and touch down. So, okay, I realize for you pilots out there, this is nothing. You do this all the time, right? But try to remember back to your first landings and tell me that wasn't task overload. 
I think, again, because I really have no idea what it's supposed to look like or feel like, I felt behind the whole time. Brian had to help me, of course, and even with his help, they were pretty nasty landings. I felt like it was pretty difficult to stay ahead of all the things that I had to do and get on some sort of you know stabilized approach. It, it just wasn't happening. I was mostly too high and too fast, and then we would correct, then back again. Yeah, it was it was not good. We did two touch-and-goes and then a full stop and got off the runway and back to the parking at the FBO. So the, that taught me something. I'm a pretty confident person in most of the things I do. I've heard of a lot of students getting discouraged you know, off and on throughout their training, and I've always thought, ah, that won't happen to me. Well, here we are in my first lesson, and I'm thinking, yeah, not sure if I'm going to be able to do this. <laughs> course i shook it off and convinced myself that i can and i will i just need some practice but i totally get why people get discouraged this this all just doesn't seem natural fun yes natural not really at least not yet so i took my lumps on that and i hit the books until the next flight which was three days later on thursday i checked in got the clipboard got the key to the plane and headed out to pre-flight it of course, this was now another plane, and this one turned out to not have a four-place intercom, so no jacks in the back. No worry, I had a plan B. I have a lav mic that I carry with me that'll work just fine connected directly to my headset. I set everything down and pre-flight the airplane. Brian comes out as I'm finishing, and it's off to another lesson. After starting the engine, I get my recording equipment going, stow it all, and we're off. Unfortunately, I would discover later that I never turned the mic on. So while it was recording, again, no audio. So evidently I'm not very good at this recording thing, even after my first attempt went so well. So anyway, um, you know, uh, so far I've been you know, fine on the radio, getting a little more confidence, but that was until this day. I completely flubbed the ground call, or maybe it was the readback of the ground conversation. I can't remember. I wish I had audio from the flight. Needless to say... I'm sure the controller was thinking it, what, what it must be like to work at an airport where there's fewer student pilots. I had another freeze-up on the radio at the end of the flight, too, but we'll get to that. So again, we're off. This flight was in the morning, so it was less bumpy than before. On Monday, we had a nice thermal that put me into about a, an instant 30-degree bank on the climb-out, and today was much nicer. By the way, I've heard from two instructors now that learning through the summer in Phoenix, like I'm doing, will really make you a good pilot. And flying in winter will seem like heaven. That statement is starting to scare me a little bit, but we'll see what happens. So back to the flight. We head out and do some more air work, but today I got my first .3 hours under the hood. For those unaware, that means flying on instruments only. For private pilot, you need just a tiny intro to flying solely on instruments, just in case you get yourself into trouble. So the FAA requires that you learn how to deal with getting out of that trouble and demonstrate that on your check ride. It was, it was pretty interesting, not too difficult. I have a tendency to rely too much on my instruments anyway, so what I really need is the opposite training, flying without instruments, and I'm sure Brian has that coming. Another interesting thing we did today is he made me try to fly straight and level while closing my eyes, and he did that to demonstrate that we can't really rely on how it feels to us to know how to keep the airplane in a flying attitude. I, I did okay, I guess, on the altitude. I, I was cheating a little by listening to the engine either get faster in a descent or slower in a climb to try and keep it level. But straight is another story. I think I ended up in about a 20-degree bank or so without a hint of that from my inner ear. You really can't tell. It's pretty interesting. So we went on to do some steep turns and climbing turns, descending turns, etc. The big aha for me in this lesson was 
the ability to keep altitude in turns or, or straight and level for that matter by only looking outside, using the nose and a reference point on the real horizon. I knew this, of course, but putting it into practice for the first time in this lesson with Brian's help was, was really nice. It was really helpful for me. After practicing some more, it was back to the airport. This time I felt a little more confident with the tasks I needed to do because I've been couch flying it, if you will, getting more used to you know what comes next. So anyway, we, we get into the, the downwind. I go through the task. I'm, I'm feeling pretty good about it until the actual final approach. And I think it was better than last time, but still not very stabilized. And it's, once I finally got down and you know, tried the flare. It seems like it takes forever for the plane to settle down on the runway. So I'm probably carrying too much speed or something. I don't know. In any case, we did two touch and goes and then a full stop again. So at Chandler, the two parallel runways are, are offset somewhat. So when you're landing on the left side from either, either direction, 2-2 or the four direction, the threshold is closer on the left than on the right. So when you land on 2-2 left, as we did, the taxiway you generally take to exit the runway to the right is at the threshold of 2-2 right. The controller gave us instructions to enter 2-2 right, turn left down the runway, and then exit at another taxiway off of 2-2 right, and then contact ground. The instructions were a little verbose, and when I was just about to key up to acknowledge the clearance onto the runway and the rest of the taxi instructions, I sort of froze up. I was thinking, how much of that should I read back? Every detail or just the runway part or what? I looked at Brian with a look that must have conveyed a little help here because he nodded and took care of the read back. Turns out, I guess I needed to say all of it. Good to know. So that ended our flight for Thursday. Each of those two flights were 1.1 hours for a total of 2.2 now in my logbook. I had another flight scheduled for Saturday afternoon, but the winds were a little high and Brian changed our session into a ground session where we reviewed systems. The most interesting thing about that lesson on Saturday was that out on the tarmac was a restored B-17 bomber with a T-6 next to it. After the lesson, we strolled out to take a look. Unfortunately, I didn't have a camera with me, so I didn't get a shot. They were giving tours, and for something like 500 clams, they'd even take you for a ride. It was pretty cool to see it, though. It's not often you see a big old bird like that at your local airport. So that about does it for this episode. Don't forget to send me suggestions, feedback, criticism, encouragement, whatever strikes you. You can send it via email at bill at studentpilotcast.com or provide feedback from the website at www.studentpilotcast.com. I've got two more flights scheduled this next week before I head out of town for almost a week. I guess I'll have to put my training on temporary hold while I'm out of town. If you recall, I'm trying to average three lessons a week, though, so I'll have some time to make up when I get back. It's all right, though. I'm going to be a pilot. Today's audio cast is the song To Be an Angel from the great Canadian band Uncle Seth.
You can get more information and subscribe to the Student Pilot Audiocast using iTunes, Zune, or any other podcatcher at www.studentpilotcast.com.